Hello, and thanks for joining us for this month's edition of The Scope of Things, a no-nonsense look at the realities and enigmas of clinical research based on those closest to the action who aim for great, and if need be, are willing to shake things up. I'm Deborah Borfitt, Senior Science Writer for Clinical Research News. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with the leadership of Rejuve, the world's first longevity research network powered by artificial intelligence. We have here today Chief Executive Officer Jasmine Smith and Chief Technology Officer Deborah Wong. Welcome to the show, Jasmine and Deborah. Thank you. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. Well, I'm going to start with the big overriding mission of Rejuve, the longevity solutions for all. The goal being to open up the means to a healthy extended lifespan to everyone, because right now the solutions are unaffordable to anyone other than the super wealthy. How are you seeing this longevity inequality, if you will, playing out in the real world? And how did that sort of start you down this path? So essentially, I guess we don't even have to look as far as uh, the most advanced uh, therapies like the uh, stem cells and whatnot to see longevity inequality. Um, We can see it even in the sense of um, normal diseases that people uh, acquire. If you're rich, if you're a celebrity, if you're a politician, you get very easy and quick access to the top of the line treatments and uh, latest innovations um, in medicine. But if you are a poor person, like let's say even uh, in COVID, you know, an average person um, was, was not able to get uh, the advanced uh, type of treatments and therapies that were available uh, to those who weren't. Um, so, you know, even starting there uh, with uh, chronic disease conditions, uh, the medicine available is just um, more easily accessible. So we're trying to even start there in the sense of health and wellness, of uh, making sure that people can be well, um, regardless of uh, what economic standing that they're in, pretty much. Uh, anything you'd like to add, Deborah, to that? I mean, how did you get involved in uh, kind of going down this path with Rejuve? Oh, well, um, equality uh, is a very important uh, concept to me as well. And um, in particular, um, I've been uh, thinking about how people in companies don't get a fair share of the profits of the product of companies, mm-hmm. how their labor is you know, bought and it's one and done. Um, and then um, a company as a whole can make, you know, a lot of profit off of that and then give it all to the people at the top of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I designed our tokenomics so, so that um, everybody gets a fair share of the fruits of their labor, or whether it be from their body or from their uh, data models of the body. Interesting. Okay. When we first talked about Rejuve um, back in January, now it's been a few months, um, I I know just enough to be dangerous, but but let me give it a whirl here. As I understand it, Rejuve is an economy of data researchers and contributors on a distributed ledger or a blockchain, and it allows individuals to retain ownership of their contribution to longevity research, such as completing a survey or getting a lab test done, or even developing an artificial intelligence algorithm that that undergirds the whole network, and and then getting a proportionate share of the downstream profits from any resulting products in the form of rejuve tokens. Um, Well, we can get into the particulars of how that ecosystem works in just a minute, but high level, did, did I get that right? 
yes, that's actually a very uh, concise and thorough um, synopsis of, of what we're doing. Um, and it's actually uh, surprising too, because a lot of times when uh, people first, first presented with it, it can be a bit um, confusing and a lot of different dimensions, but yeah, that's essentially it. Yeah, that's great. It's a credit to the two of you explaining it so well to me a few months ago. Believe me, I went into this feeling very confused. So I'm, I'm having a little bit of empathy for our listeners to make sure that we're covering all the bases here as we go along. Um, this is, of course, quite a departure from mainstream thinking about data ownership, which is often regarded as the property of physicians or medical institutions or some third party who owns the health records. But as I have already talked about with my first two podcast guests, this patient-centric approaches of some type uh, in, in dealing in research, clinical research, are, you know, it's, it's all the rage, supposedly, you know, and giving people control over their own data um, would seem to be in keeping with this, this movement. What makes you optimistic that the time is now for a network like this? And, and do enough people want to control how their data is shared and, and, and what middlemen exactly are you eliminating in the process who, who might be in a position to hinder your efforts in any way? Well, um, they not only control how their data is shared, they own their data forever in Rejuve. So what we are really eliminating is the ability to purchase someone else's labor. Yes, here, they can purchase half of someone else's contribution, but usually labor is completely purchased so that people do not share in the profits in which they produce it all. Um, and that half can be purchased at the decision of the contributor, data contributor. In the data economy, it is even worse in that our data is given away for free. So we are reducing, not eliminating the purchasing of others' labor and data and we are eliminating giving it away for free. And it, it, the parent company of this research network, it, Singularity Net, uh, the world's first decentralized artificial intelligence network. Um, and, and then, of course, AI plays a few vital roles in the Rejuve ecosystem specifically. And as I understand it, it's to calculate the fair share amount owed to various data contributors and to come up with research hypotheses based on the contributed data, and also to ensure that um, initial phase one trials that will apparently be done in-house um, represent all demographics proportionately. And, and Deborah, you're the AI guru here, so maybe you can explain a bit better about how AI is in the mix or, or will get added as data accumulates and, and time moves on. Yes, uh, we have three main AI components. The first of two facilitate the crowdsourcing of models in the community of science to together help solve the problem of longevity. And the third of which is our premier neurosymbolic AI that our top scientists have created to solve the problem of longevity. So we are mixing our scientists' work with the scientists all the AI scientists in the community to solve this problem together. Our Bayes expert AI allows scientists to write causal models and enter the results of clinical trials into the network. Then our GCN AI assembles these and other models, including deep neural network models, simulations, and data sets into a coherent whole. Uh, these crowdsourced models, you know, help each other 
and interact with our premier neurosymbolic AI, Hyperon, to create a multi-resolutional dynamic simulation of the human body. This simulation will be used to offer personalized advice and to infer new longevity treatments. If community members' data or their models help define those treatments or helped us to offer purchase services, they will be compensated. Wow. <laughs> That's, that is a lot to take in. <laughs> and and uh, are you the only like uh, data guru, uh, AI guru on the team or are there, are there, is there a group of you or will there be? Oh, no, there's mm. um, Ben Gertzel, you know, he's our founder and he, um, and other people at singularity net uh, help us all the time. Um, mm improve our models and, and help us to interact with their models. And yes, uh, Jasmine will tell you more about uh, uh, hiring new people as we uh, grow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, and I'll get to that in just a minute. I I do want to touch as we're talking about, you know, sort of big um, technology underpinning this whole thing. Let's get to blockchain. It's probably another large, largely unfamiliar concept to listeners um, and another big piece of the Rejuve ecosystem. So um, let's talk about that. Um, the, the pharmacy industry as a whole is, is probably not wholly unfamiliar with blockchain. And I'm thinking here in particular about the Pharma Ledger project. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but uh, it's, it's a project in Europe and it was discussed at the Scope Conference in February. But in that case, a decentralized ledger was being used exclusively for managing the clinical trial consenting process which is a very different thing than what we're talking about here, which is to keep patient data safe, data transactions transparent, and the chain of data ownership crystal clear. I think we could all use a little education here. So can, can one of you give us a, a simple real-world scenario of how the blockchain supports your cause and how, over the long term, smart contracts on the decentralized ledger will enable the network to subsist on its own? Yeah, so um, essentially it's not uh, so much different uh, from the clinical trial process in that we're creating an audit trail of what actually has been done with data, how it's been used, and uh, to what degree. So uh, along with our product NFT tokens, which are actually um, the markers of how much of a contribution you made to a product, we have our data NFT token, which is an identity and uh, data management um, control panel, you can say. And that is where the users can control uh, exactly which uh, research projects their data is actually used in. And yeah, they keep track of that by uh, permissions that they grant via the token. Um, So they can choose uh, what type of uh, individual research projects that they would like their data to be used in or which ones that they don't or which entities to engage with. And all of this is kept track of in that uh, ledger as well so that it's never lost or confused as to uh, what happened to it. And I think uh, Debbie might be able to add some more. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the blockchain supports a little economy in that the data contributors don't have to wait for blockbuster drugs, you know, which you, which you said take maybe 12 years mm-hmm. or even new products to be completed for the money to flow. Uh, people investing in staking pools that are related to research challenges and people purchasing product NFT shards from the data contributors ensure that the money flows early. Very soon, people who stake are rejuve in 
reduce tokens in specific areas of research will receive coupons to purchase a product NFT shards of products that meet a criteria defined in a research challenge. So we'll have you know, several pools that people can stake in and there'll be a challenge for each pool uh, that's defined as a research goal that we want to be reached. And at, when that research goal, the specific research goal, which can be the endpoint in the clinical trial, is reached, uh, then the people who are bonded and staked at the same time at the time of the that the challenge is reached um, get special coupons to buy the product NFT charts. Hmm. Uh, once a network member's data and models create products then risk-averse data contributors may sell up to half of their share in future deep discounts on longevity treatments in the form of those product NFT shards. When those products make profits, the holders of the shards receive reduced tokens in proportion to the amount they own to use for the deep discounts on longevity treatments. Okay. And is there, does someone keep track um, online of when you meet meet your challenge and where you're at in 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 toward goal on the challenge and everybody sort of you know that, that's part of the transparency well um in a way meeting a challenge is a surprise and um uh we have to balance the needs of um uh l- letting everybody know uh, uh what a patentable um uh, result is uh, so versus, um, you know, making sure that our data owners get paid for their efforts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so usually the NFT would be made after a patent is filed. We would file a patent for a um, AI discovery that uh, a lab is committed to and they believe will work. And th- that's a point at which a um, patent is filed. And that's when everybody knows about it. Because if we tell before, I think there are laws in um, in international laws that, um, well, that the, those people are protected by the patent, that they won't own and that, that anyone can um, uh, use uh, the results of their labor and make a profit and not pay them. So, hmm, so we have that compromise. <laughs> yeah, no, th- thank you for explaining that. I hadn't thought that deep on it, but yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and you're covering all your bases. That's, that's good to hear. Um, the, the rejuve token um, is, I, I think you had told me launching later this summer on the blockchain. And at that point, the ecosystem will be operating independent independently, correct? Um, as opposed to now, it's still comp- kind of operating under the singularity net um, ecosystem. Is that correct? And, and can anyone uh, who's interested in get in on the action uh, and, and download an app once this this you know token launches? And, and what's sort of the membership process and requirements? Right. Yes. So uh, we will uh, be, yes, indeed, spinning off as a uh, separate company, but we will always maintain our ties to the Singularity Net ecosystem. It's actually uh, pretty fascinating if you look at all the different projects that are occurring there. So we will continue uh, to always work closely and um, engage with them and work together, but we will mm-hmm. have our own uh, separate token indeed. Uh, our next milestone that is coming is actually an open invitation closed beta testing of our longevity app. Mm. Uh, so basically, if you follow our social media channels, um, and website, we'll be able to see when this uh, beta 
is released mm-hmm. and be able to get on and sign up uh, up to a certain amount of people, maybe 500 people uh, we'll take in and then we'll uh, continue to develop and test app and get that live interactive feedback uh, with the earliest adopters, the people that are most excited uh, to use this app. And that will determine uh, the state of it when it actually launches uh, fully publicly on uh, the Apple and Google app stores. Okay. And of these early adopters, I think they're called singularitarians, if I'm saying that right. <laughs> Is that correct? Singularitarians. Singularitarians. Say that three times. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, and, and getting back to sort of the utility of these rejuve tokens, like exactly, can you give some more examples of what they can be redeemed for specifically? I mean, to the degree you know, um, and, and that would all happen presumably through the app then? And, and you have partners that you've already identified that are going to be you know, sort of providing some of these items, if you will? Yeah, so the, the plan is to implement um, yeah, a reward shop, uh, you can say, where you know you earn your tokens for your data and then you have a place to actually spend them. And the things that you're purchasing with them are actually uh, products and services that enhance your overall health and longevity and actually help you to contribute more data to the system in order to be um, a more higher contributing data uh, or data contributor and earn more rewards. and have more stake in the research. So some of those uh, products can include supplements, DNA test kits, um, lab uh, test consultations from doctors, and culminating in any discoveries or therapies that actually emerge from our own research ecosystem at Reju. Mm-hmm. What would be the motivation for a company to get in on this action, if you will, and, and, and accept the Rejuve tokens um, in exchange for these types of services. I'm not sure I totally understand that. Is there an easy way to explain that? As to how the, uh, what the companies would be using the, the, the DNA, token. Whoever offers the DNA, DNA test kits um, are going to be um, accepting Rejuve tokens for their product or service. How do they, not everyone's accepting a Rejuve token necessarily or wanting to, I wouldn't think, or maybe even know what it is. I, that's what I'm trying to understand. All right. Yes. So that is um, a challenge is to bridge the world of cryptocurrency uh, to the mainstream or to Ah. these more traditional institutions like uh, medical. So basically, uh, these would look more like partnership arrangements where Mm -hmm. they would agree to provide uh, the Rejuve users with a discount um, via discount codes or any other traditional mechanisms. And in the background, we would uh, perhaps be working on collaborative studies or um, just kind of a, an affiliate type of program where we're advertising their products and getting them regular users and customers. Mm-hmm. So it would be more uh, starting with that. And of course, we would hope that they would uh, get more warmed up to the idea of actually directly accepting the token themselves mm-hmm. and uh, signing up to the network as an actual contributor. Mm-hmm. This might be a related question. I'm just going to throw at you. How accepted are cryptocurrencies in general these these days? I mean, what has been the trajectory on that 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 might give us an inkling of how this is going to go? Well, it is it kind of uh, fluctuates depending on what the uh-huh. latest news is. Like right now, there was a, a big occurrence with this uh, UST uh, Luna token kind of crashed, and you know there was a lot of uh, controversial activity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can kind of look at that. I won't really go into that too deeply, but basically we do see that uh, different financial institutions and companies are beginning to accept cryptocurrency as payment. There are actual 
uh, crypto cards that you can get, debit cards that you can use. So the adoption is coming, and I think that uh, it will become more and more mainstream as the regulatory bodies kind of establish clear laws and rules regarding these. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're able to more um, protect people from any type of uh, criminal activity or also just simple um, ignorance and, and loss of uh, assets due to just not knowing how to use the technology properly. Mm, good point. Thank you uh, for for going there with me. (laughs) Um, And and Jasmine, this is probably a question for you. I wanted to get back to what we started talking about earlier about, you know, the needed um, team, you know, as you move forward, uh, probably you're going to be doing a a bit of hiring. And and if you could talk a little bit about how you're going to grow in terms of of people power (laughs) Um, and uh, maybe on a related note, when and, and how might outside study sponsors be able to tap into the data pool or, you know, take a completed phase one study that you do internally sort of to the next level? Uh, Yes. So, yeah, hiring is uh, very much on our minds. So we'll have our token raise. And, you know, with a um, a portion of that funding, we'll, of course, hire on uh, new members, um, kind of beefing up our development team, our AI team. Uh, We want to definitely have a medical professional or doctor on board. Uh, But also, we would also... uh, encourage kind of community members that are medical professionals to contribute as well. Um, Kind of toying with an idea of a kind of a community medical board of directors Hmm. that um, can kind of advise and uh, guide the directions and even be able to offer their services on the platform uh, if people are local or if they're doing telemedicine services or whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, our, our uh, team building efforts are going to focus mainly on enhancing the functionality of our app. So making it more robust, sleek, uh, fast, attractive mm-hmm. and uh, intuitive and easy to use. And also uh, being able to do uh, higher volumes of research and analysis in, uh, of the data that's actually coming in in real time. Mm-hmm. And, and what about and, outside study sponsors that might be interested in, in the data you'll be collecting? How do, how do they get in on the act if, if they're interested in access? Oh, uh, yes. Um, information? Yeah. So already uh, we've had some inquiries about uh, people that want to kind of run studies with us uh, using our app or leveraging some of our technology. So, hmm. uh, yeah, we're kind of always open to people willing to contact us and begin discussing uh, those type of opportunities. Uh, yes, of course, when we do have the bigger team, it will uh, we'll have it more streamlined. But mm-hmm. even now, we are uh, open to anyone that's wanting to run kind of uh, any type of obscure studies or, or uh, you think that our population of longevity enthusiasts would be um, <laughs> a good clinical trial uh, population for your study, then yes, we invite you to contact us and begin to have discussions about how that can work and how uh, we can leverage the app and our AI to do that. Excellent. And, and how many trial participants might we be talking about that you could accommodate currently? Uh, what size studies? Very, very small or not necessarily? Um, I mean, normally the, uh, the studies are small, but I mean, we kind of have a goal for the beginning inception of the app to get uh, on board 2000 unique data contributors. So mm. uh, estimating that the initial pool will be around that size. Yeah, yeah, that's a good pool to, to draw from for sure. Okay, one final question. 
when will you begin enlightening the masses about the ins and outs of how the Rejuve Longevity Research Network works? I mean, and we, we've sort of done an introductory session here in, in like 30 minutes or so, but uh, clearly there's a lot of education that needs to take place. Um, and if this is to be a truly democratic credit system, participation must broaden beyond this, these in, initial early adopters. So, so tell me a little bit about what, what the plan is uh, on that front. Yeah, so uh, essentially, yeah, due to the fact that it is kind of this emerging technology, it just naturally draws uh, certain kind of people to it. But um, our kind of bigger uh, target market, I guess you can say, would be anyone that's kind of interested in health and wellness. So anyone that's um, purchasing and using wearable devices or kind of tracking uh, their health and their exercise and their diet uh, using apps or anyone that's uh, purchasing supplements on a regular basis or just pretty much anyone or even uh, avid uh, gym goers. So that is kind of like the wider audience that we're trying to reach beyond just people that are super into futuristic technology. So I think <laughs> okay. as our uh, yeah, app begins to gain traction and that uh, like once we begin to publish papers that, you know, our algorithms do work and that uh, we are doing something new. I think that that will uh, build up our credibility and also having associations with uh, medical institutions, uh, individual practices, and even universities uh, that will kind of uh, serve to draw more people into what we're doing and uh, want to uh, join in and test out the app as well. Because uh, the app itself is not uh, particularly uh, only uh, meant for anyone, but it's more so this whole entire project itself is going to draw a particular kind of crowd and already has a bit of a cult following due to the singularity net. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jasmine and Deborah, the two of you have done a great job of making all things blockchain and cryptocurrency a little less intimidating than they were even 30 minutes ago. Thank <laughs> you so much for being my guest today, as well as leading the way in giving power to the people in the world of longevity research. Thanks so much for having us. I'm so happy thank you were here you. today. Thank you. And a big thank you to everyone out there for listening in. For more straight talk on studies involving humans, visit clinicalresearchnewsonline.com. And if you're a clinical research professional, we hope also to see you at our next SCOPE conference where we make things happen. Bye for now.